0: Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary, genre bending debut novel, Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I am your host, David Temple. We're in our fourth season and pretty darn excited about it. On today's show, Grady Hendricks has written a book called How to Sell a Haunted House. <laughs> I told you that 2023 was going to be a little bit different, didn't I? Yeah, and I meant it. So get ready for that. Quick little note, there's a little bit of technical issues that we're dealing with. We're in the middle of uh, redesigning the studio and, and we run into some sound issues here and there. But, you know, just deal with this. All right. Without any further ado, here's Grady on the Thriller Zone. All right, let me let me shut up and get going because uh, okay. I, don't, I don't know how much time we got. But welcome to the Thriller Zone, Grady Hendrix.
1: Thank you for having me. I am I am ready to be thrilled.
0: Uh, well, I I feel thrilled everywhere, and just so I know, so I don't step on toes, are we a hard out at thirty minutes, or do we have just a few? No, ma- no, no.
1: We can we can we can have wiggle room. That's no problem.
0: Okay, here's why. I by the way, folks, this book is called How to Sell a Haunted House. We're gonna deep dive on this thing. It's so much fun. By the way, maybe this oh, is a good. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is a good place to just start because I'm I got I got things to talk about, but. You got two of my favorite people who've been on the show on the back of your book. Riley Sager, who is a hell of a talent. Yeah. A madcap funhouse of a novel zigzags from hilarious to horrifying to heartbreaking and back again in the blink of an eye.
1: I try. I try. Riley was very generous with that blurb.
0: He's such a good dude. And the other one is Almakatsu. I love her. With his trademark charm and ingenuity, Hendrix upends the haunted house story.
1: I've got I've got one of Alma's uh, dogs held hostage. She has to blurb every one of my books.
0: Oh, is that how that works? Uh-huh. Exactly. What do you? How do you think we get these blurbs? There you go. Well, you know, Grady, I got to say, I I had a I had the strongest feeling. I had this probably the minute I saw the cover, and then when I started reading it, I knew this was going to be the case that you are going to become one of the single most interesting guests on this podcast.
1: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. That's a lot to live up to, man. Well, here I'll
0: go easy on you, but here's the thing. You got a genre that, in my opinion, isn't super easy to uh, pin down. I mean, you're a thriller writer with a horror twist, but with a fantastical twist of dark humor. It's riddled with mystery sprinkled with a whack the fuck out fairy dust that ends up being thoroughly engaging and often hilarious. So, wow. I appreciate it. I think I would, I want to see that section in a bookstore (laughs) (laughs) just with a a
1: long title thing that goes on. No, I appreciate it. It's I mean, to me, I write horror, you know, and, and, um, but I really feel like, um, most horror has some humor in it i maybe not so much in books but in movies i don't know even a movie as grim as alien has that great double act with yafet koto and harry dean stanton that's so funny in the beginning the blair witch project which we all remember as this grim hike in the woods has a great opening where they're interviewing the locals and it's just this funny send-up of documentary filmmakers Horror in film, at least, always juggles humor with it. You know, it's it's how you get people to lower their guard and yeah. uh, uh, not see where the next thing's coming from.
0: And while not horror, two two TV shows that my wife and I've gotten completely geeked out on, um, White Lotus, which is oh yeah, dark comedy throughout, and then something we just got turned on to. I can't believe it took me this long. Is um, Dead to Me?
1: Oh. Which I've never seen Dead to Me, but I know White Lotus really well. Yeah.
0: All right, dude. May I call you, dude? <clears throat> oh, please. Dead to Me, I I was I don't know what I was expecting, and this is all about you. But just take thirty sec, t- yeah, take twenty yeah, yeah, sure. seconds here. Dead to Me is uh, one of those shows that you're like, oh, this is just going to be a chick flick or something, a murder mystery, blah, blah, blah. and then you get going, and it is so. My wife and I, we try not to binge too much. I think we went through the entire first season in about two nights and we're now oh, wow. in the, yeah in the second season. It's just it's but it it brings me back to you because the point you make is there is this humor even in death. Not that death is funny, but if you don't see mm-hmm. some it can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you don't see some of the the humorous underbelly of it, you are you're you're not seeing the whole picture, are you?
1: No, and you know, it's funny there's a picture Uh, someone took, and it's one of my favorite pictures. It's my grandmother and my mom and two of my sisters and me, and we are busting a gut laughing. And it's one of those last, someone just caught that moment. And I think it was my wife who asked, oh, what were you all doing? I was like, oh, we're at my grandfather's funeral. Um, But, you know, death is, is ridiculous. I mean, it's It's just part of life, and I think that, you know, I was just at a a funeral, gosh, two days ago, and um, it was an ashes scattering ceremony, and it was a really windy day. And so figuring out the logistics of what to do, and ultimately the person scattering the ashes had to kneel down and sort of put them out in a little pile very, very close to the ground. Um, and I was just talking to someone else on a podcast where they were saying that they'd been at a one where the wind shifted as the ashes are being scattered and it blew back on the, uh, person. I mean, you know, I wish life was one genre. I wish it could be serious when serious things are happening and lighthearted when funny stuff is happening, but that's not the way it works. Um, you are going to have the most romantic night with your partner ever Right before you get the phone call that your father has died, you are going to be walking up to give a eulogy when you trip over the steps going up to the the pulpit and bust your ass in the middle of the floor. Um, You know, it's just this stuff all sits next to each other.
0: Yeah, that's so good and so true. And if you can't laugh at life. Um, this is one of the reasons, now this is going to sound kind of wackadoo, but I'm kind of good for that. Oh, please. Yeah. Well, wow. When I was reading your book, I was thinking, you know, I was imagining, uh, and this is all complimentary because these guys are my heroes. It, it was like if Stephen King and David Sedaris had a child, if David could actually bear a child, it would be Grady Hendrix. That's the way.
1: <laughs> I like that in that couple, you've determined that David Sedaris would be the one with the womb, you know, like I appreciate that. Um. <laughs> I, I really, thank you. I really, I really I appreciate that that a lot. I mean, Stephen King is one of those writers who's almost inevitable at this point. Like we all, I think most people who really respond to him, you discover him when you're 12 or 13, because that's, that's, and he gets his hooks in and you just read him for the rest of your life. And I stopped reading him for a long time, uh, starting with Tommyknockers. Cause I think I had the reaction, a lot of people, oh, Tommyknockers is not what I want it to be. I didn't read Stephen King again until many years later. And I reread everything he wrote in order. And um, I was really blown away. I mean, you know, nothing against John Grisham, but John Grisham writes legal thrillers, nothing against Tom Clancy, but Tom Clancy writes, you know, uh, military thrillers. King man, he writes whatever he feels like next, you know, and he will just go where it takes him. Um And Sedaris, I really like, Um, I've always loved his writing, but I also, he, he, I've talked to a lot of bookstores and libraries that have had him as a guest. And they say, you know, his signing lines will go on for six hours, seven hours, because he talks to everyone. He'll just have a full-on conversation. And I really, really admire that. It would be so easy to treat a signing line like a conveyor belt, but you know, you're going to do it a couple of hundred times that night, but the person in front of you gets one shot and they want, They want to connect with you. They want a moment to talk and, you know, and just feel seen as a person. And, and, you know, and so I really appreciate that he takes the time to do that because I think that's really meaningful.
0: I love hearing you say that because I agree with you. It, you know, we, we often think that we have to run through something because it's expected of us. However, to your point, this guy or gal has read your book or all of your books and and the, the moment is like, man, I get to meet Grady. Uh, you can call it rock star status. You can call it whatever you want. It, it, maybe they just say, you know, he seems like a nice guy. I'd like to meet him, you know, but that's yeah. their moment. Well,
1: also, I mean, yeah. And I get stuff from people. I can't tell you how many details from people's lives. And I tell them, I'm going to steal that for a book. And I do. I mean, you know, I, I was just doing a book event in Raleigh. And um, I asked someone, you know, oh, have you ever lived in a haunted house? And she's like, well, kind of, I don't know. And she wound up telling me this story about her brother would always be telling about the animal people in their backyard when they were growing up. And I was like, well, come on, what kind of animals? She's like, well, and ultimately, it turned out that they were where her brother called bunny men. And they were men who had the heads of rabbits and they would come and stand in the backyard and like just watch his window. I was like, that's great. I was like, I'm stealing that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a theme. what uh,
0: what is the Jake Gyllenhaal movie where he
1: didn't he? W- oh, Donnie Darko. Thank yeah. you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Great. Anytime you can take a rabbit and make it horrifying, I'm in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you ever uh,
1: seen the movie of Watership Down? The Richard Adams rabbit book? That movie is one it's animated from the 70s. And a lot of kids saw it because it was animated. I mean, it is some brutal rabbit combat rabbits dying rabbits eating each other. I raised rabbits when I was a kid. And um, they will that'll teach you a lot about life and death. (laughs)
0: All right, I gotta share this one thing. I'm I'm I I completely forgotten about this until you said at your book signing you're talking to somebody who had a haunted house. My sister-in-law Kara and her husband Danny live in a house in Miami. There is a current ghost living in the house, and the first time I heard this, I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. But it is, I think it's their grandparents mother that's my my hunch but Mm -hmm. they walk there's a landing right above their living room and they walk back and forth during the night and you think oh it's just the house relaxing no it's not because then they bump into them on the way down the steps at night
1: oh like do they see them or they just bump into something they just feel
0: them and hear them but they never see them and I go, that's it. Right. Have you, have you heard it? No, but I, I want to go next time we're down there visiting family. Yeah. Like, Tammy, let's go spend the night in the living room and just watch. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing, dude. Yeah. Hey, by the way, let's think about this. Cause you're from South Carolina, right? Yeah. That's where I am right now. I'm in the middle of book tour. So yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to guess Charleston or the area absolutely charleston is okay.
1: there another place in this state
0: not really um well i i'm from charlotte area so uh, born in went salem from the charlotte area, oh yeah so, sure yeah. okay sorry. so how did a south carolina boy m- get into the big apple because you're living in new york but you're just touring right now
1: right so i uh went to college at a place called bennington in bennington vermont and um i went there because it had a great arts program i was really into theater they had a theater building that didn't have locks. It just was open twenty four hours. So if you wanted to go in and do work at the three in the morning, go ahead. Um, and it was pass fail. There were no grades. And it four hundred and sixty students on a mountain in Vermont. What could go wrong? <laughs> and I went there. It was not my place. It just it was a little bit more. You know, you got four hundred and sixty very artistically inclined kids trapped on a mountain in Vermont in the middle of winter it's not pretty. (laughs) And so I wanted to go somewhere that was the opposite and NYU made sense. And so I went down and it was the best thing I ever did. New school was fine, but being in New York city, um, you know, I found a a theater company to work for that. I'm still helping out with to this day. Um, I, my first boss was a lunatic and all the best senses of the word. Um, it was just amazing and and i've just never left i lived in hong kong for a little while my wife and i and we lived in la briefly but new york's one of those places that you get addicted to and you know when i come down to charleston i'm always like um oh i love it here it's so nice and then i'm like what do you mean there's no restaurant open after 10 p.m what do you mean (laughs) i can't get a bagel at one in the morning what what are you talking about um where's the subway so yeah, it's easy to get addicted to New York.
0: Yeah. Having having lived there twice, it is <clears throat> you get real hooked on instant everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also, I really love, um, you know, I went to New York because, A, for school, but B, I wanted to be somewhere where a bunch of different people who weren't like me, I rubbed up against them every day. And I had to put up with their bullshit because they had to put up with mine. And I find that there is this this understanding in New York, like, I'm a, you know what, you're standing on the corner screaming at the top of your lungs at two in the morning at someone who isn't there. That's cool, man, because I'm going to have a I'm going to have the worst day of my life in public, too, at some point. And you'll just ignore me when I do it.
0: <laughs> you got such a good, healthy outlook on life. I like that. <laughs> Um, Now, here's something you mentioned at the top of the show that I wanted to come back to because, uh, like this podcast, you've got your own podcast. You're talking about recording at 4 o'clock in the morning. And um, I drilled down on your show. I want to make sure I've got the same one. Super Scary Haunted Homeschool? Yes. The one with the stupidly
1: long title. Yes.
0: That's okay. As you know, I love long titles. Um, Now, let's see. The last time, if I'm seeing it right, was recorded a couple of years ago. So – that is yeah. So
1: yeah. So I was going to say. So this is something that when I say this to people who do podcasts, they roll their eyes and say, "Really?" I was like, "I did." I started doing it during the pandemic, and I didn't. It's a lot of work, man. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I've actually hooked up with two guys who are doing the audio engineering and the producing on it, and we've spent the last little while re-engineering all those early shows, and then we're we've just recorded the next three, we have the fourth one with the vocals. And those are being edited right now. We've got vocals recorded on a fourth and we've got two more after that scripted. So it's going to be back in full swing probably in the next couple of weeks. But it's hard. It is rough.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I mean, um, I think that people think because they see kids, kids, adults on youtube hey get yourself a microphone come over here sit on my couch open a beer let's talk and i'm like yeah you can do that but it to really make the thing snap and sizzle and i'm on let's see your episode uh 116 so we've been at it for a year and a half i mean to do it uh, at this level every single day uh, a lot of people don't realize it so kudos to you and me
1: yeah. I mean, kudos to you, sir. Wait, well, also, you know, throw my deadlines... shoulder
0: out trying to pat exactly <laughs> got to limber up
1: before you pat yourself <laughs> on the back. but also, you know, deadlines are intense. Um, and once you impose one on yourself, it's a real discipline, you know? And I think like with that podcast discipline, it's really, um, it's a lot to take on and it's a lot to stay on top of.
0: It takes a certain kind of commitment to, again, to do it, write, do it well. And, and the consistency factor, Grady, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's well, like writing. I mean, look at you, you're probably, yeah. I know that you got a work ethic. You can't put out the volume of work that you do and not have a solid work ethic. Cause you know, it takes time to put your ass in the chair and your fingers on the keyboard, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I keep a really regular schedule when I can uh, Being on book tour, really throws that into disarray, which makes me very uncomfortable. Um, But it's also, you know, I don't know what your setup's like, but one thing that really helps is I have an editor. You know, I I have always had an editor. I like working. I come from journalism, so I like working with an editor. And I've got people around me who sort of keep me honest and and on top of stuff. And that's so useful because working on your own, that is one of the hardest things out there.
0: Well, not to... Toot the horn, or as my mom used to say, "He who tooteth not his horn, get his horn not tooteth." It's true, but uh, yeah, I write it, produce it, cut it, score it, everything. But
1: and that's hard because it's it's you know having that other set of eyes, having someone who's just like, "Hey, where's that draft?" You said you told me you'd have it next week. Yeah. You know that kind of thing is really really useful.
0: Yeah. I want to make sure I do not want this to scoot away because uh, so many of my okay, sure. So many of my listeners, Grady, are up and coming writers. They 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 love reading, but they're really obsessed with writing and getting to know the machine. Now I see your novella. You're a big novella guy. We're gonna break this down. You wrote one called Bad Astronauts, is as in Bad Astronauts, which I love. Available in print, ebook, audiobook, and has been option for TV yes so question one is everything you're touching i'm being a little tongue-in-cheek is is everything getting option for tv question one insert answer here
1: uh mostly yes (laughs) yeah i mostly yes um I, I am a professional, uh, you would think. Um, but yeah, I, And one of the things where I'm really lucky is I didn't have any representation for my first four plus books. I had no agent, I had nothing. And, um, and that was, I, I didn't have the juice to get an agent who would do anything for me. And I really, a guy, uh, a guy out in LA was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna introduce you to a couple of people. And, you know, and now I have kind of a team and they're the ones who do all that heavy lifting. Like I've got an agent, a manager and a lawyer and all that stuff, but they get that stuff optioned. And it is, it is, I don't know how they do it because that world is, is a shark tank.
0: It is a shark tank. And because you seem like such a cool guy and you're giving me so much of your time and I'm so deeply appreciative, I'm going to keep drilling on this because let's go. Yeah. You seem like a straight shooter. Do you feel that novellas, because a lot of my friends and or uh, acquaintances who come on the show now are writing novellas. And I remember when I was starting out (laughs) writing about 10 years ago, oh, you can't write a novella. Nobody's going to pay any attention to you. It's got to be at least, you know, 60, 70, 90, 100,000. So do you think that novellas, it's perfectly cool to roll with a novella?
1: yes i think that there's still some habitual pushback on it in publishing just because we do that for so long you know it was novella (laughs) go go drown that in the tub (laughs) um but uh you know and, and actually stephen king talks about this in the intro to different seasons in one of the versions where it's like what do you do with this thing um, but now it's the same way that streaming has really untethered episode length for TV series. This episode's 40 minutes. This episode's 48 minutes. This one's going to be 50. This one's going to be an hour three, whatever it needs to tell the story. And I feel like a novella is a really perfect length for horror. Um, you look at something like the turn of the screw, uh, or Stephen King's the mist. Um, it gives you, it's, you get more depth and more familiarity with the character, with the length, but it doesn't wear out its welcome. And so, you know, these sharp concepts that maybe wouldn't make it to novel, like The Mist would just be, and then there were more monsters. And after that, there were more monsters. The novella really keeps that fresh. And so I think it's a great length. And now with um ebooks and Kindle and things like that, there's a hunger for novellas out there. And I think agents and editors are a little wary of them still because, you know... For years, wolves ate man. So when we first domesticated them and turned them into dogs, we were still a little nervous. Um, and I think that's the case with novellas.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I I, I want to make sure that, that people hear that because I have this philosophy that if you only start at this point, get off your ass and write something, you're ahead of the crowd. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because so many people will go, well, geez, 90,000 words is so hard. Well, sure, it's hard. But if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But then I read so many guys have been on this show that I've read their novellas, and I'm like, just to your point, man, that's all I wanted. If you you did any more, I could almost subconsciously feel you stacking lots of words just to stretch it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Hundred percent, and you know, one of the things I think I did this certainly when I was when I first started writing. You worry about what you're writing. Am I writing a short story, a novella? What am I doing here? Write a story, and you know, lit it in, and and don't pad it. Leave out the boring parts, and see what you got at the end. It'll probably be a short story. If you're lucky, it'll be a novella. It probably won't be a novel because it took me a while to build up those muscles. It's like okay if i take out the boring parts and the parts i don't really want to write it's hard to come up with that concept that has enough legs to go the distance to 70,000 words, 80,000, 90,000 words until you really develop those muscles um, so yeah i think you can't fix it if it's not on paper and sure. every book is and every book is a failure that got fixed you yeah. know yeah so you need something to fix
0: and do you think do you do you have any advice on how to get a novella? if you come up with the story that you that you have it's clearly a novella and you go okay mm-hmm. this really is and I've done the work and I've edited the hell out of it and mm-hmm. I've shared it with friends la 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 and I think this is worthy do you think it's still a good idea and what would be your encouragement as to how to get it to an agent even if you know that agents the most gatekeepers are going uh,
1: oh. I would 100%, I'd do two things. One is I would start actually, you know, just Google novella submissions because there are agents who act, actively look for them. And there are also markets that actively look for them. They change all the time, but they're out there. But the second thing i do is I'd lie. If you're sending out a query letter, call it a short novel. What, what the agent's going to sue you? If they read it and they like it, they don't give a shit. Um, you know, if they read it and they like it, they're going to say, well, that ended a little sooner than I thought, but I like this person's writing. So let me see if they thought about turning this into a novel. I've got some ideas, or they'll ask for something else you have. Just lie. Just say it's a short novel. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> short is every query letter's friend. Every agent wants to see short in a query letter.
0: P.S. They also want to see a short query letter. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, last little praise uh, here. I was um, one of my favorite things about this book is it, though getting through uh, how to sell a haunted house isn't tasty enough. When you get to the back, I, I left a little flag here. This I had so much fun with this. The okay. the the memoriam oh, the acknowledgement yeah the acknowledgement which is in the form of a in loving memory and there's some real. Just hilarious little things in there. Thank you for doing something out of the ordinary.
1: You're welcome. I just, you know, I figure a, if someone's going to go through the trouble of actually buying a book and having it in their house, there shouldn't be any wasted space. Make yeah. it fun. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, I was just gonna say nothing makes me crazier than in a book when it's in a certain number of pages because they have to be multiples of eight and there's a couple of blank pages and I'm like, Why? why? I'm not paying for blank pages. Put something on there. Give me
0: something. All right. Now, before we wrap, because I want to be respectful of your time, there are two two things I want to ask. One is a little feature I do at the end of the show. Um, Would you like to play, uh, we usually call it rapid fire questions, but on today's show, since it's you, Grady, I'm going to call it super scary, rapid fire, hotter than hell questions.
1: I want to play super scary, hotter than hell, rapid fire questions. (laughs) Hell questions.
0: Yes. And before we do that, I want to ask you one question. And you, you just kind of did it, but I, I was speaking specifically to novellas. And now that now that I've met you, and we haven't even begun to touch on all your other books, which are uh, a plenty and hilarious and scary, and you've got to read about it uh, more on his website. Is this what is that best piece of advice to, especially my aspiring writers, how to make? Uh, make it a business in this business.
1: Okay. So this is a piece of advice everyone gets. And I got it early on and I thought, screw you. It's write What you know. And I was like, Oh yeah. So if I want to write a science fiction novel, I guess I can't cause I've never been in space. And I was so pushed back on it so hard. And the more I've written, the more I realized that the only thing I've got is me and cannibalizing my life. And finding those details and working them in the books, that's what people respond to. I did a book called My Best Friend's Exorcism. And my first draft was terrible. My I thought it was great. My wife was like, this is some hot garbage. This is recycled John Hughes material. And it was set in the 80s when I went into high school and it was set in high school. And I really went through my old diaries and letters and really tried to put that stuff into the book. And that's the stuff people responded to. And I've learned that the more stuff I share from my life in the books, that's other people's lives. And the more I'm uncomfortable with what I'm sharing, and the more embarrassing it seems to me, the more people respond to it, not because people like humiliation, but because we all do the same stuff. We're all embarrassed. We have this stuff, you know, and so learning to do that, was really, really what changed my writing career, and really realizing that, like, I am an, an, a self cannibalizer. Um, you know that really, and I know that piece of advice is so hackneyed and so worn, but it took me forever to wrap my head around it and realize that that's the only thing that made me different from other writers.
0: It may be worn to use your phrase, however, I think it's one of the best pieces of advice, especially the way you gave it. And that's, yeah, because here's why we're all putting on our pants the same way. We're all suffering the same embarrassments the same way. But when you can dig in, and I'm so glad you said this today, because I was up this morning at five o'clock writing, uh, working on a, on a nonfiction book. And I was like, oh, do I share that? And, and what you just said is exactly something that was rolling through my head around uh, a little after five this morning was like, be real, dude. You got nothing to lose. We think we got something to lose. Well, Grady might not like this. He might not respect this about me. He may find me uh, less than. Who gives a shit? We got nothing to lose.
1: No, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, it's funny. One of the things I always see, because some people say like, oh, my life's just really boring, but you know what? We all have sex. Mostly. And, you know, one thing I see a lot in romance itself, I'm not saying there's no people who write good sex scenes, but a lot of times writers fall back on cliches and it's almost the equivalent of the movie where it fades slowly to black or something. I'm like, dude, I've had some of the most embarrassing, ridiculous, funny, best moments of my life have been during sex. I want to see that on a page. And we've all had those moments that mortify us or make every, you know, you start laughing or they're awesome put that on the page. Anyone can do it, but no one does. There's there's an opening.
0: There you go. Write what you know in the way that you know it. <clears throat> All right. I forgot to mention this early and I got to say this because you, you just said something that triggered me. So check out these titles, folks. My Best Friend's Exorcism, We Sold Our Souls, The Final Girl Support Group, and my favorite, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. The the book with the ridiculously long title. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But you
1: want to stand out in the marketplace.
0: However, you also wrote two great nonfiction books that also won some uh, handsome little awards. One is Paperbacks from Hell and my second favorite, again, because it's a tasty title. These Fists Break Bricks, How Kung Fu Movies Swept America and Changed the World.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I am a long time, uh, especially Hong Kong movie fan. And so getting a chance with Chris Bajali, who wrote it with me, to actually write about these movies and dig into the history, man, it was so humbling. It was an amazing experience.
0: Oh, okay. All right. So this is the sound that says it's time to play rapid fire, super scary, hotter than hell questions. Number one, paper and pen or keyboard when writing?
1: Keyboard when writing, but if something's getting me trouble, I go to paper and pen.
0: Got it. At home when writing, house, coat, and scuffs are all dressed up. I put on a suit and go to my office every day. When trying to sell a haunted house, is it better to bake cookies so the aroma will warm the cockles of the hearts of potential buyers or display gallons of fake blood on the walls of master bedrooms with hopes they'll buy the whole getup?
1: You know, I feel like most people would lean towards baked cookies, but I'm going to gallons of blood because there are people out there who want a haunted house badly and will pay any price.
0: Oh, I love it. And lastly, a two part question. If you were to turn haunted house into a Broadway play, question one, would you direct in question two, who would play Louise and who would play Mark?
1: A Broadway play. OK, so I think that I would have to say um, uh, I would not want to direct, but I. Um, I would definitely want to write the, the book and maybe even the lyrics and to play Louise and Mark. So Hollywood always works well on Broadway. And I know that he is a frustrated musical theater star. Jason Siegel from uh, How I Met Your Mother would be uh, Mark. Yeah. And I really feel like Louise, I, I almost feel like even though she has very limited theater background, she apparently does have some Aubrey Plaza would be the person to go to.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if How to Sell a Haunted House ended up on Broadway, folks. I'm just saying, just saying. I mean, you live in, you live in the neck of the woods, so. Uh, it's a
1: tough game, but I would love I would love to see a good horror musical. I would too,
0: man. That is so good. Well, folks, to learn more, visit gradyhendricks.com and follow him on Twitter as I do at Grady underscore Hendrix. Grady, dude, thank you so much for this time. Appreciate- oh, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's nice hanging out with fellow southern uh friends. They said naysayers be on your way, I'm doing it my way or the highway and you just follow your dream and like you said be yourself. I love that piece of advice.
1: Thanks, man. It's uh you know, it's I'm really glad this worked out because this is the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> and I'm too old to go to law school. <laughs>
0: Nicely done. How much fun was that, Grady Hendrix? What a fun book, "How to Sell a Haunted House." All right, I got some more reading to do, so I'm out of here. I'll see you next time for another exciting edition of the Thriller Zone.